Welcome to Geek on Film with your host, Robbie Holmes. Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode number 38. It's Robbie, and I'm running the ship again solo. Today, we'll talk a little bit about some movies I watched. We'll have a main review of Renfield, but boy, we are smack dab in the middle of the Emmy run season. Uh, There's so many television shows going right now that I feel like I can barely keep up. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, So into television. Uh, This week's episode of The Mandalorian is episode seven of season three. Uh, We are now heading down the backstretch of this season. We're very close to the end of season three. This episode was called The Spies. It is chapter 23 of Mandalorian. We end up in uh, lots of questions about why it's pluralized. Uh, So it's pretty easy to know who some of the spies are, uh, or at least one of the spies, which is uh, Ellie Kane is back and she talks through a droid in some back alley in Coruscant in the underworld. Uh, Finally, to Moff Gideon, who shows up. Super fun. We get a chance to see uh, right from that uh, interaction Moth Gideon goes back and walks through these amazing laser gates that are very reminiscent of the prequel series and walks into a room where there's a bunch of holograms and it is the Shadow Empire. These are the people who have been running things behind the scenes. So many people from the Empire uh, who are acting as local warlords and things like that. And we get a name drop again of Grand Admiral Thrawn. And uh, yeah, I think we're heading down into... uh, This is the penultimate episode of the season, so I think we're finally getting a chance to see that uh, our big bad for this season is Moff Gideon. Our big bad, I think, for all things Filoni-verse is Grand Admiral Thrawn. Super excited about the next episode. I uh, was really impressed with what they pulled off here. Let's move on to, for me, the next thing I watched was uh, The Big Door Prize. I'm now into the third episode of the first season. Uh, This is the episode entitled Jacob. We are introduced to Jacob in the first first episode. Uh, He lost his brother. We uh, get a chance to see a little bit more of his world. He is the person who works at the store where the Morpho machine appeared magically. And uh, he's asked to do at at the big fundraiser to uh, for the kickoff of the season. He has to do this um, trampoline dunk and he fails, you know, massively. And we get a chance to see that in the end, he is, you know, come over to and, and helped out by Trina, uh, who was the girlfriend of his brother who passed away. So very complicated, getting more complicated. We spent some time with the priest, finally broke down and got a card from the Morpho machine. And his uh, potential was father, not pastor, not priest. I think we'll see the unfolding of that in the next episode. Yeah, super fun show. If you're not watching it, it's a... Uh, The Big Door Prize on Apple TV Plus is super fun. You should be watching it. Uh, We'll head over to our favorite uh, teenager cannibals, uh, Yellow Jackets Season 2, Episode 4. We are now just really running into the middle of this season. Uh, Old Wounds is the episode that we watched this time. Uh, It is the current episode. We have really fun interactions with Missy and uh, Daniel heading off to try to find out more information, try to find Lottie and Lottie's cult. Natalie is is now sort of a part of more things up at Lottie's cult. Taisha 
you know, really uh, in modern day, borrowing the car of one of her of one of her employees and drives until she, you know, uh, we we see her wake up in the car out of gas somewhere heading across the U.S. and she eventually finds her way to what we find out is Van. Uh, we knew that Lauren Ambrose was already cast, but it's super exciting to see her walk into this uh, video store and have uh, Van slowly recognize that this is Taisha. So they obviously haven't seen each other in a while. This is the episode that really connects more closely to Lost. I was a person who watched a little bit of Lost. Uh, they've been alluding to lots of things. That's sort of the comp that people bring up pretty frequently about Yellow Jackets. Uh, this is an episode where we see Lottie back when they're teenagers finding a plane, uh, which is the plane that Laura Lee was flying and blew up in the sky. And in the front seat is the teddy bear that Laura Lee had with her. And it is sitting on top of what we finally find out is a trap door that leads to some tunnels that takes her into a mythical version of the modern world. Uh, it's like a giant mall food court area and everybody's there. All the kids are there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we got lots of mysteries going on at the moment. So I'm looking forward to more episodes of Yellow Jackets. The fourth episode of season four of Secession has landed. This uh, show is up. Uh, is absolutely out of control with how good it is. It's also every single episode is, is a mini movie. Um, I think they're all about an hour. This one I think was an hour and three minutes. We really just, we, we see so much unfold so quickly. Um, I was talking to my wife about it and I just feel like, good Lord, there is so much happening in these episodes. You can't even really, it's, it's hard even as a viewer to sort of start to re recap these kind of things. Um, I had a whole conversation with my wife and it was like 30 minutes about, about the episode. Um, it's so crazy. You know, we have the return of Marsha Roy. We have the, the siblings coming together, the old guard uh, and Frank finding a, a, a note about what Logan wanted uh, for his funeral. And at, at one point he had listed that uh, Kendall should be his successor. And then it's either crossed out or underlined. I think the point here is that we'll never know. And neither will Kendall. This will haunt him for the rest of his life. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, we find out that uh, Shiv is pregnant through a phone call from her doctor. Um, and that apparently uh, no one else knows. So we are now in the know. Uh, at one point we find Shiv uh, being not pushed out, but agreeing to be not part of the leadership team. So both of the sibling boys, uh, Roman and Kendall, uh, go and convince Shiv and the board finally votes to put the two of them as uh, co-COOs in the interim roles. So uh, that's all happening. And then uh, Shiv is, you know, seems distressed and seems not together and eventually is walking and falls, which I'm sure is just this, it was this most ominous of moments uh, where you're like, God, we know she's pregnant. This is so crazy. The writing of the show is unbelievable. And the way it's shot, you know, everybody gets a chance to be a part of all these amazing scenes. Um, I listened to an interview with um, uh, Arian Moyed, who plays Stewie. And he talked about the fact that it's basically just like a one act play being shot all the time he ends up helping Shiv's character up and he wasn't even supposed to be in the scene. He was just in the hallway. Um, it's just how things unfold. So 
really an amazing episode. Uh, again, no, no big surprises here. Secession's great and it continues to be great. So uh, do yourself a favor. If you haven't caught up to this point, definitely go watch the show. Hopefully you can be there with us for the finale. Cause I feel like this is just one of those shows that's going to be talked about for a very long time. Just a last note. I, I've been really chugging along in the star Wars clone wars uh, television show. Uh, I cannot believe how good the show is, how much it adds to the mythology you know, I, I've often talked with John about the the things that I really love in the Star Wars universe. If you're going to tell a story somewhere during the Star Wars, the the Skywalker saga is uh, you need to make the universe bigger, not smaller. And these episodes of Clone Wars, so I'm now into the fourth season, definitely watched about five or six episodes in the last week. And I just cannot get over how good and how uh, rich the stories they're telling are and how much they're they're utilizing the little bits and pieces of things that happen offhandedly in a movie or are mentioned in a one-liner and how they become this, you know, much larger portion of the world when the when the when the folks who were creating Clone Wars utilize these little nuggets as the basis for entire story arcs. The one I just watched that really blew me away was I think it was season four, episode three, uh, which had to do with the Moncari. And uh, their battle on their planet for uh, against the the separatists, and and there's so much like visceral you know, fighting and killing, and the show is just so powerfully done. And I, I cannot get over how well the story is told, but also how much it's affecting me and uh, how much it's looping me in. I I was always jealous of the people who watched Clone Wars and Rebels because I had heard about how good it was, and now I'm finally putting my head down and getting through it. And I'm really impressed with this show. If you are someone who cares about star Wars and cares at all about the main storyline, boy, I, I suggest jumping into the clone wars. I think the first two seasons of clone wars are pretty slow moving. Uh, and didn't add a ton. It introduces the Mandalorians a little bit. And, uh, but I, I, you know, there's a lot going on. And then by the third season, you really end up in this, you know, really expansive star Wars canon. Uh, the introduction, the introduction of like the night witches and and the the Dothmerians and like there's just so much going on in this show that is so good and uh, really shows you uh, so much more of the story uh, that we really loved uh, as Star Wars fans. So uh, I was really impressed. All right, I'm going to jump into a couple of movies. So I, I finally finished uh, Under the Silver Lake. Uh, that is a film I feel like. I've been chasing for a while. It is uh, it is a movie that uh, stars a lot of people I really like and is an A24 film uh, by David Robert Mitchell. Uh, and the main actors in this are Andrew Garfield, Riley Keogh, uh, Topher Grace, Callie Hernandez. But that, that really doesn't matter. Uh, there's so many other people. Like there's a great uh, Ricky Lindholm is in it for a little while. And, you know, these, these amazing actors that you will eventually go on to recognize are here. You know, we see a young uh, Sydney Sweeney is in this movie. It's really sort of like a, if Babylon didn't exist, I would call it like the, the antithesis of La La Land. It's this sort of dark and brooding movie about LA and all the things that are the dark side of LA and, and how, with a focus on this character played by Andrew Garfield, who's kind of a jerk and uh, is sort of unbelievably self-centered, um, but has charisma and is 
is really interested in code breaking and codes and how everything is a mystery. It's a really crazy movie. Uh, I don't know that I would say it's a, you know, there's an ongoing, there's a show called the rewatchables uh, that is over on the ringer network that I really love. And, you know, sometimes they'll watch a movie or they'll talk about a movie and they'll say like, this is an instant rewatchable. I, I feel like under the silver Lake is a film that I'm really glad I've seen. And I'm still not sure how I feel about it. I just watched it on Saturday but I, I do think it is going to stick with me for a while. I'm not sure if it'll ever become a rewatchable, but I am really glad I saw it. I think I will reference it often. Um, at least I'll be thinking about it for sure. Two other films I watched this week. I've owned Ad Astra on uh, 4K Blu-ray for a long time. A huge fan of James Gray and had never seen this movie, um, even though my letterbox had shown that I had. There's no way I've seen this movie because I would have remembered it. There's so much going on in this movie. There's so many memorable moments and we get a chance to see sort of Brad Pitt really at the center of a movie uh, where he is this sort of calm, cool and collected blue collar space worker slash astronaut. And uh, he's so good in this movie. He's, he's charming. He's good looking. No surprises. But in the end, I was really impressed with how they utilized and weaponized who Brad Pitt is and how people react to him. What they, what was really smart about it is that his father was also somebody who worked in the, in the space, space, space. Uh, and it was, his father was played by Tommy Lee Jones. So everybody was just very revenant and had a lot of reverence for uh, what his father had accomplished. So there was this like inherent reverence for Roy Brad Pitt. And I, I think it's it's a really good uh, sort of, you know, representation of how people react to Brad Pitt in general. Um, and they found a way to utilize and weaponize Brad Pitt's charm and charisma without it feeling like we're doing this because he's Brad Pitt. There's a couple of actors who are really kind of wasted in this movie. I think Ruth Nega is wasted. I think Donald Sutherland is wasted. But I really feel like this is a movie I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, it's approach to the you know, the, the near term f future and how we interact with uh, space and with traveling to other planets. And it's just so clever. It's, it's like taking and, and sort of lampooning or calm, calmly parodying uh, what was being done in 2001, a space odyssey, how we, we get to space and it's now there's like an Applebee's, you know, just, Interesting, without it turning into a cartoon or cartoon-esque, sort of like 2001, of course, if we moved somewhere off of our planet, commercial companies would be a part of it. And it doesn't feel like it's done as a, a cheek, cheeky nod to look how dumb humans are. It is, this is what would happen. We would have to finance this in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, I'm really, everything felt pretty practical you know, even like the space flight feels like it's just an advanced version of an airplane. Um, I like that aspect of it. I think there's some really fun and clever decisions being made. And I, I, that really comes down to James Gray being smart about the writing of this movie with, with Ethan Gross, but the directing choices and, and working with amazing actors that helped him shape these characters. I am more intrigued by the more movies I see by James Gray, because every time I see a James Gray film, I'm so interested in hearing him be interviewed about it. This is the second time 
uh, Armageddon time last year was the first time I was ever really introduced to James Gray, the the man and listening to interviews with him. And Sean Fennessy from the Big Picture podcast over on the Ringer Network has had multiple good conversations with James Gray. Uh, and I, I got a chance to to catch up with the Big Picture episode having to do with Ad Astra. And I was so glad to see that it was James Gray and Sean sitting down. And the conversations are always just so in- interesting. And they're about the film, but also about filmmaking and about life and about who James is and how he's perceived and how his family sees him and what he believes about art. And and, and I think Sean is so smart to sort of just not wind up James Gray, but like get in on a wavelength that allows him and James to have a conversation that isn't always about the interview questions. And I think that it's a testament to what Sean Fennessy is able to pull off in that podcast. And he has single-handedly made me care a lot more about James Gray, the man, and in turn, James Gray's art and creations. Uh, the last one I'm going to talk about is Spotlight. So this movie has been on my watch list since I started using Letterboxd. I realized I had not seen Spotlight. It is one of those movies that uh, has sort of loomed for me for a very long time. It is not an easy story, right? It's the true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered uh, the massive scandal of child molestation and cover up within the local Catholic archdiocese and shaking the entire Catholic church to its core. So the movie was, I believe, made in 2015, and the movie is set in 2001. And it's just full of amazing actors all the way down. You've got Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Liev Shriver, John Slattery, Brian Darcy James, Stanley Tucci. You know, like it, the, the list just keeps going. The other thing that's really smart is uh, some of the extras and some of the people who are a part of the film, even who have lines, uh, are are actually local Boston people. The one nice one is uh, we get a chance to see Billy Crudup as uh, Eric McLeish, as, as the lawyer that uh, did a bunch of work with the Catholic Church. And it's almost like a precursor to the morning show. Like you see a lot of what Billy Crudup is going to go on to do in that show um, and his sort of calm, charm. Somebody, uh, I was listening to a podcast and somebody said, he's one of the few people that can tell you, fuck you, and you still want to spend time with him. Um, I think that's really an interesting way to talk about Billy Crudup, especially since I'm now watching Hello Tomorrow. This movie's fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's moving. It's emotional. It is really, the, the, I think it was the next big picture show, did a pairing of this with All the President's Men, which is, makes total sense. It's a journalism film uh, about Watergate that was made in the 70s, and then this is a you know, modern take on what journalism and how important journalism really can be and the impact that it can have. I, I, I'm really glad I finally watched this movie. This is a movie that's going to sit with me for a long time. There are moments in this film, the quote from Mark Ruffalo, where he, um, it's in one of the podcasts I listened to and it's, it's you, you know, they knew when they let it happen. It's a line that's been echoing in my head for a long time. And I now have the context and the scene that that came from. And Mark Ruffalo made a lot of choices and all of them right. Uh, Or at least I'm glad he made the choices he made because I was completely moved by him uh, playing the character of Mike uh, Resendez, the the journalist who's sort of leading up this, this charge, who ends up writing the article. Rachel McAdams is in this movie. I feel like I wish there was a little more for her to do. Uh, she she plays Sasha Pfeiffer, who's part of the Spotlight team. 
so spotlight is this sort of small group inside of the newsroom in the in the Boston Globe that gets a chance to work independently of the rest of the paper, sort of almost isolated. They they don't have to tell anybody what's going on. It's real deep journalism that sometimes can take a year. So she was good in this. I think Leah Shriver as the new editor is really fantastic. There's so many good actors and so many of that those guys and, and those ladies. You'll you'll recognize so many of these people. Yeah, give yourself a. Uh, it's on HBO Max, so you should definitely go and watch it. It's been sitting in my queue on HBO Max, I think, since I got HBO Max. So uh, I'm very glad I finally got around to watching this. I think that's it for me for films this week. So uh, I'm going to jump over to the main review. So this week, uh, the main review is of Renfield. So Renfield is the story of Renfield, who is Dracula's familiar and his henchman. Uh, and he's been with him for decades. Um, I hear back and forth. I, I believe he only joined Dracula about 80 years ago. I keep hearing people say like centuries. I, I think that's wrong. I think the story that we're telling here is that Renfield has been supporting and been the familiar of Dracula uh, since the early 1900s. And uh, he is getting tired of being, you know, the the joke in the in the trailer is that he's basically uh, Dracula's, you know, Uber Eats driver. He has to take care of everything that uh, Dracula needs done during the daytime hours. So he helps find him, you know, people for him to eat. He, he, he does whatever needs to get done. We open on the movie in sort of black and white, and and there's a really fun sequence that takes place where you see Dracula almost get killed. He's trapped in a circle that a hunter, a vampire hunter, uh, has built on the ground, and it creates uh, a way that Dracula is trapped. He can't do anything, and eventually Renfield breaks the circle and allows him to get out. But in the end, Dracula is really burned badly. And we smash cut to modern day and Dracula is still healing from his last attack. It's very gruesome makeup that's done at the very beginning on Dracula uh, is, is off putting it's, but we, we get this slow and comedic release of Nicolas Cage as Dracula looking like destroyed human corpse that is slowly coming back to life. There's a lot of story going on here for a movie that only took 90 minutes, but I also feel like there's a lot of threads that were taking place that needed more detail for them to come to fruition. You know, we find Dracula and Renfield in New Orleans. Uh, finally, they're living in a dilapidated and broken down hospital. Um, there's some really great production design here because the the throne for Dracula is decorated with like blood bags, like, uh, you know, from uh, a hospital and uh, it's all backlit and red and it's, it's really beautiful, but not, I, I wish there was more time spent with those types of details for us. We, we spend a lot of time with watching Renfield go out into the world and, and be part of a, uh, you know, a codependency group that you, you've seen in the trailers he ends up going to a place called Muertos where there's a family that is the Lobo family. That is the mobster family that mostly rules things in New Orleans. They have control over the cops. And we meet Aguafina, who plays Rebecca, who is a cop whose father was killed by the Lobos family. 
Her sister is played by Camille Chen and her name is Kate. She's an FBI agent who works down the hall, apparently in the police department down the hall is an FBI agency apart, you know, department there's, we, we, we get to the point where we see Renfield um, save Aguafina's character's life, Rebecca, by utilizing his powers, eating a bug and um, becoming sort of a mini Dracula. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exhausting is the way I would put it. The first half of this movie is really slow moving, doing a lot of table setting and introducing a lot of storylines. And the second half of the movie moves a lot faster, but it's mostly violent battle sequences and less about the stories. We eventually end up with Rebecca and Renfield spending time together with some of the least amount of chemistry I've ever seen. I like Nicholas Holt a lot. I like Aguafina a lot. I think they both are really good in this movie separately. I, I, I made a comment to somebody that I felt like seeing Aguafina in this film where she's not the most sort of over the top character is really fun. We get a chance to see Aguafina more as an, you know, as an actress and less as a force of nature. And, and that's, that's really fun to me, but it's also, you know, the antithesis of what we come to know her for. And then seeing her and Nicholas Holt together with more than just, there's moments where it feels like it's moving towards romance and that's really uncomfortable and weird. Yeah. It's there's some fun to be had here, but it's, it's really cartoony and it's use of violence and the way that things unfold at the end. And of course uh, you have Ben Schwartz who's in this, who plays Ted word Lobo, the son of the, of the mob mob mom. And he's really fun. He's super great improv guy who really does so many amazing and silly things in this movie. Uh, he's driving a car, his guys get killed and he gets pulled, you know, he comes to a traffic stop and he eventually drives away. And as he's running away from the cops, he throws cocaine, like bags of Coke at them. Everything he's doing in this movie is like a complete and utter improv, like comedy routine. And it's, it's a blast, but it just feels like it's not part of the same film. Eventually, Dracula and Tedward find one another and that's when he decides he needs to introduce him to his mom, which is a very great and funny line. And his mom's played by Shiroa uh, Angdishlu and she's amazing. Uh, but we don't get a lot of her. We, we get little bits of this actress who we all really like doing really great things and it's kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, this movie really introduces so many storylines that you're like, is this going to pay off? We find out Renfield had a family. He had a wife and a child that never comes to fruition. We don't really get much with Rebecca's sister, Kate. She ends up getting killed by Dracula being brought back with Dracula's blood. At the end, we have extremely violent destruction of Dracula by Rebecca and Renfield. I, I found myself exhausted in this movie, I find myself exhausted talking about it now. I feel like this is not a movie I'm going to revisit. I, I would say it's probably like a two-star movie for me. Uh, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I was hopeful for. Again, I, I don't want to review a film I didn't that, that wasn't created by the creators. I had really built this up as this is going to be campy and fun. And the moments where Nicholas and Nicholas are on screen together, when it's Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage, they are fun. And I feel like they did a really good job of uh, writing those sequences. 
but it's all the other ancillary storylines that don't feel like they're part of the same movie, but also don't feel like they're fleshed out. You don't need a ton when you know that Dracula and Renfield are Dracula and Renfield. Those characters are, are in our psyche. We know who they are. But again, there's little nods to like Lobo as a last name could have you know alluded to wolves or werewolves. So there's a question about like, is this family going to be werewolves? Is it going to lead to a sequel? Like none of that comes to fruition. There's no uh, above and beyond the name. Yeah, it's there's there's nothing here that I think I would recommend. I, I when it eventually comes on streaming, you should watch it so you can say I saw this campy movie. But this is one of those um, Nicolas Cage movies that, in my opinion, he is doing a lot and the script is not doing much to support him. And that makes me kind of sad. It's it's not even just that. I, I feel like this may have been like studio noted to death with the lack of follow through on all these storylines that may have been a part of this movie. You know, it's it's lean and mean and in and out and like, uh, you know, 93 minutes. If, if we could have gotten a 113 minute movie that actually, you know, fleshed out a little bit more of what we saw from some of these storylines to make them matter more and to make these characters make us care more about these characters, it would have been worth it to me, but they uh, seem to be hyper-focused on getting in and out uh, in a short period of time. I'm going to bet that there's a much longer take of this movie. I know that when I listened to an interview with Ben Schwartz, he talked about the fact that there was, you know, many, many hours of him improving. Um, so I, we know that that exists, but it'd be interesting to see if Chris McKay gets a chance to do a director's cut that actually makes this movie feel a little more congruous and brought a little bit more together. So yeah, that's it. Uh, another sort of meh movie from, from my perspective, uh, you know, I don't know if it's this time of the year or if I'm just so exposed to so many good television shows that have really, you know, rocking my, my world on a regular basis. But this movie is definitely not one that I feel like you need to run out and see. I expect it's going to be on streaming pretty quickly. And I I think you would do just fine to wait until then. That's it for me this week. Uh, I'm Robbie Holmes, Robbie the Geek Everywhere Online. Uh, John is John Hoch, J-O-N-H-O-C-H-E. We are geekonfilm.com, geekonfilm.com on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you're enjoying these, please rate and review. If you have any comments or you'd like to talk to me, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Um, and hopefully next week, I think we're going to spend a little bit of time with Ghosted. Uh, so it, it is a movie you can watch from the comfort of your own home this week. So you can keep up and get ready for me. It's been fun chatting with you. Talk to you next week, folks. Bye-bye. This has been a Geek on Film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.